0: Today's reading is taken from Luke, chapter 18, beginning at verse 18. A certain ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments... Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad, because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with men is possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left all we had to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them. No one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. And Heavenly Father, we thank
1: you for all that you have given us, all that you have sent. And we long for our lives to be ones that live for your kingdom. And show us now how we might do that more and more. Amen. I have got a season ticket for Guilford Lido, or Guilford Lido, depending on how you say it. I love going there. It opens at the very end of April, and um, some days it's really very cold. I don't find it cold because I grew up swimming in the North Sea. So I love it. And bizarrely, I find just this is a place that is really special to me. Sometimes, very early on in early May, when the weather is particularly bad, there are not many people there. And that's fantastic. It's a huge pool, 50 metres long, I don't know how wide. It is massive. Sometimes there's four or five of us. And the peace and the tranquillity even though it's cold and perhaps drizzling, is stunning. And there have been times when I've done four or five lengths with nobody else in the pool. There's nowhere better in the world. I get quite good at my timing of it, so I can work out when is the best time to go. And um, Thursday, I decided I had a a blank slot in my diary, and I thought this will be a good time to go. It opens at 10.30, and there's an initial flurry of season ticket holders who all arrive at 10.30. If you avoid that and arrive about quarter past 11, you miss the lunchtime rush as well. And usually it's quite quiet. It was dull, the sun hadn't come out, and I thought, should be on to a good thing here. Turned up, and the place was heaving. And a local secondary school was obviously having activity week, and a lot of their teenagers had chosen to go to Guildford Lydell. So my peace and tranquility was absolutely ruined. And initially I walked in, I thought, will I stay or not? And I thought, no, I'm here, I'm going to do it. So I um, struggle to actually get a length because there's kids jumping in, there's people splashing, and you're desperately zigzagging up and down to get your lengths in. And I was feeling really grumpy. And I was thinking, this is just not what it's meant to be. And I'd been thinking about this sermon before I left, and I was thinking, God, what are you telling me? There's something going on here that I think has got to do with the sermon. And the more I swam up and down, zigzagging around and trying to... I don't like getting my hair wet. That's the other problem. (laughs) Which makes life really difficult when there's dive bombers coming in. And um, Yeah, anyway. I was thinking, what are you trying to say? And at one length I thought, I've got this completely wrong. I'm looking at this as to what I want from it. If I think about what is Guilford Lido designed for, it is designed to be full, it's designed to be fun, and it's designed for everybody. I want it to be for me, because I like swimming up and down in this massive pool with four lifeguards, all on my own, (laughs) thinking, this is for me. Actually, Guilford Lido is meant for the whole of the community. All ages, whether they swim or not, whether they're diving, whether they're making a noise, whether they're like me, it is for everybody. And the best use of Guilford Lido is for that sense of fun and busyness and activity. When the lifeguards are there for a genuine reason rather than because they have to be. And actually that is what it is for. And the problem was with me. And I thought, hi. You know, um, I just really felt that God was saying something to me because I'd been looking at the passage. For those of you who are here for the first time, we've been spending the last few weeks thinking about encounters with Jesus, people in the Gospels who met Jesus and whose lives were changed one way or another. And I'd been reading about the rich young ruler. He isn't actually called that here, but if we pull all the Gospels together, we see him described as rich and young and a ruler and all of them. We tend to think of him as the rich young ruler who's got a problem, who comes to Jesus. And I felt as I was swimming up and down that, that God was saying to me, there's something about your experience here, your expectations, your understanding of the bigger picture that is like the problem that the rich young ruler had. So that's a slightly bizarre analogy. But bear with me and hopefully you'll begin to see why my story of my experience at the Lido bears relevance on what was going on for the rich young ruler. So it's a story we know very well. And he comes and he talks to Jesus and he asks a question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why did he ask the question? That was what I was wrestling with. Why did he ask the question? Because he knew the answer. He was a good Jew who knew the answer. Keep the commandments. Love God with all your heart, your mind, soul and strength. Love your neighbor. He knew them and he was doing it. So there was something going on in his mind that made him want to come and ask the question. Now perhaps he was trying to catch Jesus out because we saw the Pharisees trying to do that. But my reading of this doesn't seem to suggest he's in that situation. It seems to me that there was something more that was going on for him because he knows the right answer. And Jesus replies, keep the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. He thinks, great, tick in the box. I'm doing all I need to do. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Jesus carries on and says, but you lack one thing. You lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. And when he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. He couldn't do it. He couldn't do what Jesus was asking of him. He had too much money and he couldn't do that. Now, we struggle with this because we struggle about this idea of having money and whether that in itself is a problem. And when we looked at Zacchaeus a few weeks ago, we realized that it's not necessarily a problem. Having money in itself is not the problem. It's our attitude towards it and the way we hold it and what it's doing for us. And we saw Zacchaeus as a man who was able to forget his wealth and his position and his status and to give it away. It no longer mattered to him. But obviously for this man, the status that comes with possessions and wealth is something he cannot let go of, even if it's to be closer to Jesus. And for Jews, having possessions was hugely important. God had promised the Jews in the early days a possession of land. You will have the promised land. And their whole trust in God was wrapped up in this idea that they would own and possess something. And at the moment, their land has been invaded and is being ruled by Romans. So they're not seeing God's promise being fulfilled as they hoped it would be. So in that sense, the personal possessions and status that they had then became so important to them because it was a sign of God's promise to them. So actually, it's a massive thing that Jesus is asking. It's not just you've got a few extra hundred pounds that you don't need, give it away. It's actually saying, put your trust in who you are in a different place. It's not about your status in society and about all that you have. Who you are is is in me. And you don't need to worry if you trust in me. That is what Jesus is saying to the rich ruler. And he can't do it. Another response to this episode is to think, has God changed the rules? Because up until now, that has been what God has said to his people. Keep my commandments, keep your side of the covenant, and I'll keep my side of the covenant. I will love you and you will be my people if you live in the way that I call you to live. And that means carrying out the commandments. Has this changed? Has God done a U-turn and said, actually, all the rules have changed. The goalposts have been shifted and it's all different. No, because God always wanted his people to be a light to other folk. God is not just for the Jewish nation. They were always meant to be his precious children and to live as his precious children so that others might know God. And that hasn't changed at all. The emphasis on what Jesus is saying seems different but the whole premise of what God is doing hasn't changed. The difference now with Jesus is that God's kingdom has broken into earth in an amazing way. Jesus has established God's kingdom on earth. So no longer do you have to wait until heaven to experience God's kingdom. You can experience it now. And that is the difference that Jesus has brought. And I wonder whether the rich young man has looked around and seen people having an encounter with Jesus that has changed them, that there's something about them that shines with God, a joy, a contentment, a peace. And this man hasn't got that, and he's confused. And he's thinking, well, I'm doing everything I'm meant to be doing. And yet these people around me seem to have something more. And I just wonder whether that is behind his question, I don't know. But the more I've thought about it this week, the more I have thought, this is a man who actually is confused because he thinks he's doing things the right way. But there's something missing. He hasn't quite experienced or got what the others around him have. Back to my Guilford Lydell. God has established a kingdom for all for all to enjoy and to experience. Guilford Lydell is there for the whole of the community, not just for me. And I had a choice on Thursday to either try to experience it in its totality or to be really grumpy, which is what I was doing, going up and down, and to miss out. To miss out on the joy that I was seeing around me, on the faces of the people around me. And I was thinking, how might I change my view and my attitude as I'm swimming so that I might enjoy it better? Not to worry about getting my hair wet. And I wasn't the only one. I swam past one lady who'd just been splashed by a teenager and she said to me, it's definitely a hair wash day today, isn't it? (laughs) So I'm not the only one. I had to be willing to share it with others. Share the enjoyment of this beautiful place with other people. was I willing to do that? No, I was being really selfish. I wanted it for me. God's kingdom is for all. It's not just for me. And I needed to relax. And actually not worry quite so much. And I just think that this is something that Jesus is trying to say to this young man. Yes, you have got so much of it right. Yes, you understand who God is. Yes, you understand that living God's way means Discipline in your life and living in a particular way and not just going along with the crowd. But you've lost an important aspect of it. You've lost the fact that the joy of God's kingdom is that it is for all. Not just for people like me. It is for all. And we are not able to enjoy it. The young man can't enjoy it. Because he is unable to put aside some of those barriers that he has put up for himself. So then I went on to think, well, forget the Lydal, my experience of God's kingdom. How am I experiencing God's kingdom here on earth? I'm reading about it being here. I'm reading about the sense that I can know Jesus here in my everyday life now, and I can experience something of God's kingdom breaking into my life here and now. And I experience it a lot of the time. But there's times I don't. And there's times I think, Am I feeling it in any great deal? And I know there could be so much more that I could experience. And if a young man had put up barriers, what barriers am I putting up in my life to stop me experiencing God's kingdom in its totality as much as I can here on earth? A glimpse of heaven, but still more than I'm currently experiencing just now. And I know what my barriers are. And you will have different ones. But I fear what people think of me. So that's a big driver in my life. If I do this, if I say that, what are people going to think of me? What I should be thinking is, what does God want me to do or say? If I'm in a meeting, as I was last week, and I've expressed an opinion that I believe is is what I think God is saying, and somebody says, well, actually, I'm not sure about that, my immediate reaction is, oh, they're not going to like me because I've said something contrary to them. That's pathetic. Actually, it's about not necessarily thinking my opinion is the right opinion, but saying, how do we work out what God is saying? Because God is speaking and actually we're seeing it in different ways. My first reaction shouldn't be, well, that person won't like me anymore, so I better go back on what I've said. So I'm really sorry I said what I said. Because I said what I said because I thought God wanted me to say that. But how often do I not do what I think God wants me to do or not say what I think God wants me to say? Because I fear what other people might think of me that barrier prevents me experiencing god's kingdom more in my life i'm very reluctant to ask for help so i can't experience the kindness and the generosity often of other people part of god's kingdom in my life because i don't like to ask for help and i know why i don't like to ask for help it's in case they say no because sometimes i've asked for help and it's been a no And then I feel disappointed and I don't want to deal with disappointment. So it's easier just not to ask for help. But I'm limiting my experience of God's kingdom. If we're family together, I've got to run the risk of people saying, no, I can't do it and feeling hurt. Because when they say, yes, I can, and I experience God working through them, impacting my life, how much more that helps me in my understanding of who God is. I'm pretty self-sufficient. I can get through life using my own resources a lot of the time. We live in a fantastic part of the world where we can be self-sufficient. And how often do I not even think about asking God because I know what my resources are and I automatically do it my way. That's not to say I shouldn't use the skills that God has given me. But it's my attitude and the motive behind it in thinking how am I using the skills that God has given me. And I've got my own preferences and tastes. And I think that's where it's hard in a church, isn't it? Because we all have our own preferences and tastes. And yet there's something about coming together that is as much for the totality as it is for me. Do I get what I want to get out of a service? Or can I step back and think what was going on in the totality of it? When I was in the Lido, I was only interested in me being able to swim up and down with preferably only three other people in the pool. But actually, that was limiting what it could be for other people. And my attitude was meaning that actually I'm not really interested in whether those other people are enjoying what is going on. And that can be so true of my attitude towards life amongst the Christian community. In the previous verses throughout Luke, we have seen so many, many people encounter Jesus and for it to transform their lives in a really positive way. And that's what we've been thinking about, and that's what we've been longing for. But let's think about the sort of people that have been transformed by Jesus. Just before this passage, it's children. The disciples are trying to send the children away, and Jesus says, no, let the children come. Children can come wholeheartedly into Jesus' presence and accept him with no barriers at all. There's been women. We've read ourselves about um, the woman who touched the cloak. Women were not important in Jewish society. And yet they have experienced God in amazing ways. Beggars, blind people, the lame, lepers. All people in need that we would think we should help. But actually, they are the ones in the Gospels who are able to meet Jesus face to face and accept him in totality, into their lives, without the barriers. They know their need. And they come to Jesus with open hands. And the rich ruler can't do that because his hands are full with what he feels he needs to get through life. And he's scared, and that's understandable. But by not being able to drop those possessions, that status, he is unable to then receive from Jesus in the way that Jesus wants to come and fill him. When I was at St. Saviour's, one of the most powerful communion services that I led was one when, for the first time, our special needs children, there was a large group of children with special needs, came in for communion And we talked a lot about it in advance to say, is this the right thing to be doing? And I have to say, it was absolutely the right thing to be doing. It was at our 11 o'clock service and they had been next door in the centre doing all their activities. And at about the right time that communion was meant to take place, they began to come in. Not ordered, not disciplined, one after the other with big long gaps between them because that's who they are. And they came forward and Jamie came forward, whose mum's a Catholic, and had been told that he could never be confirmed because he wouldn't be able to, he's highly autistic, and he couldn't understand the catechism, so therefore he couldn't be confirmed. And he stood there and he held his hands out. And I gave his mum some bread, and she gave him a piece of her bread. And she said to me, that felt like his first communion. Ben was pushed up in his wheelchair. Ben with profound needs, who so will die probably before he's 15 and pushed by his carer, and stood before me, and I blessed him. One by one, they came forward, the ones that society says are the ones in need. And each one of them came, and the joy on their faces, as they stood before me, and either received communion, or received a blessing. And I've spent time with that group in the summer at Holiday Club, and I've done Holiday Clubs for years and years and years, and always seen God at work, But whenever I went into this group of special needs children, there was something different about it. There was something more powerful, more tangible, and I could never understand what it was. Until I realised it's because they come with open hands. Children who can't speak. Children with profound needs. Who haven't got the capacity to put these barriers in place. They are blessed. Think of the Beatitudes. They are blessed, not because of what is wrong with them. They are blessed because they haven't got those barriers in place. I put those barriers in, and so my hands are full when I come to Jesus. And Jesus said to the rich young man, if you want to know me better, this is what you need to do. Drop what you're holding on to. That isn't of value in God's kingdom that actually will get you nowhere in life but is stopping you from that deep relationship that I want to have with you. What am I putting in the way that stops God working like that in my life? What are you putting in the way? We're going to take just a few minutes now We're going to have a song played. There are words. If you want to look at it in your book, it's number 59. But the words will be on the screen. If you want to close your eyes and just listen to the words. This is not one to join in with. But it's called I Surrender All. And it's really saying, what do I need to surrender? What do I need to let go of? To drop so that my hands are open. That I can come to Jesus. And receive all that he has for me. And then we'll sing after that.
2: I bow the knee, let silence speak, and gaze upon your majesty. These songs could not convey a picture of your. surrender all. I surrender all. Unveil my heart to see the wonders of your world. I surrender all. 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 I surrender all to You. I surrender all.
1: And Father, would you help us, help us to let go of those things that we put in the way. Help us to surrender what we need to in order to have that relationship that we long for. Thank you for the promise of your kingdom, your promise that we experience a glimpse of here on earth, the promise of your kingdom for
0: eternity. Amen.